I was listening to NPR this week. And they're talking about today's elections in Sweden. And they said that this is the first time in a century that the Social Democrats would likely lose power. And actually, a little before uh, Yontif, I was looking, and sure enough, the left only had 40%, and the center-right only had 40%. And this, uh, this new group, the Sweden Democrats, had almost 20% of the vote. Now, if you don't know about Sweden Democrats, if you haven't been following the news, don't be fooled by their name. They're actually a right-wing nationalistic uh, party. So they were interviewing one of the leaders of the Sweden Democrats in Gothenburg. And he was telling them about, his, about the platform. And I paraphrase what he says. But pretty much he said that it's one thing for an immigrant to come to Sweden if they have family there, if they have a job lined up already. And it's, you know, if they do come, they have to make sure that they integrate into Swedish culture. But for somebody to come from 7,000 kilometers away and to not take on Swedish culture and not have anything to contribute to society, well, they simply can't allow that. I'm sure we all can agree that when we hear sentiments like this, we find them to be reprehensible. Because as Jews, we all know too well what it means to be rejected as other. And we know where such a worldview can lead. Which explains why we, as liberal Jewish Californians, cringe when we hear similarly, similarly nationalistic sentiments and rhetoric right here in the United States. Time after time, we hear our fellow Americans speaking of immigrants as if it's a four-letter word. Right? They say that these foreign invaders are ruining our country and threatening our way of life. Maybe this is why America likes to think of itself as a melting pot rather than a tossed salad that we hear about so often. Because in a melting pot, the pieces crumble and their unique identities are subsumed by the larger whole. Of course, we hear such talk in right-wing circles and we become a bit smug because we, woke Angelinos, would never be so closed-minded to isolate ourselves from the other. However, sometimes, despite our best efforts, we too can take on isolationist inclinations. This week, American sociologist Margaret Hagerman uh, has been making rounds in the media discussing her new book, which is titled White Kids, Growing up with privilege in a racially divided America. Any of you have been hearing about this? Reading about it at all? So it's a fascinating book. She explains how liberals make decisions on a daily basis, often with the best intentions, but they wind up actually hurting the groups that they claim to support and fight for. For example, moving to a neighborhood. We choose the neighborhoods... Uh, we live in based on a number of factors, but right at the top, we know we're going to be cost. Can we afford to live there? The aesthetics, is it clean, is it safe? The demographics and the schools. But the thing is, the more well-off we are, 
and the more demand there is to live in certain neighborhoods, then the more the people with less means are pushed out. So it illustrates that we might have really good intentions and we're just doing what we think is best for us, for our children, but we actually wind up hurting people that at the same time we try to help. As Jews, we often find ourselves in community primarily with other Jews. And not with the express aim of excluding others, but for the sake of security and comfort. These are completely fair reasons. Yet unfortunately, such decisions subconsciously reinforce our isolationist inclinations. The question is, why? Why do we feel it's so necessary to protect ourselves from others, even if we're doing so subconsciously? I believe the issue comes down to a matter of an existential crisis. It's bad, see? We all cry over these crises. When our existence is threatened, we do everything in our power, not only to survive, but to thrive. Even if that means putting our needs first at the peril of the needs of others. We never want our children to struggle in life, which means that we want to ensure that they get a good job, which in turn means they have to get good grades and a good school, which means that we do whatever we can to make sure that no other child threatens the standing of our child. We want to make sure they get the best math teacher. We want to make sure they're on the right soccer team. But those nationalist Americans and Swedes want the exact same thing. They want economic prosperity. They don't want to lose their jobs, which means they'll do whatever they can to keep others at bay. The thing that they forget, and that we often forget, is that survival doesn't require us to neglect or to reject others. And I know this might seem a little rich coming from a rabbi because I represent a tradition that tells us that we have to commit genocide in order to inherit the land of Israel. It says it right in the Torah. That is what we're supposed to do regarding the Canaanites. We have to remove them. Now, It might sound like I'm splitting hairs, but what I'm about to say is actually really important. And this is kind of central to the argument. The only time one's existence is truly threatened, other than through physical violence, is when their core values are at risk. In other words, if you lose your core values, you lose your identity. And that is the one true threat to your existence. So, looking back at the Canaanites, their existence actually threatened our core values as Jews. By practicing idolatry and paganism, we know about the ways that they practiced their, lived their lives, were a direct threat to what we stood for. And the two could not coexist. They simply could not coexist. So if we wanted to survive we needed to remove that threat from our midst. We didn't do a good job of that. And we see what happened throughout the entire books of prophets. In fact, every holiday that celebrates a military victory is really doing the exact same thing with Purim. We mark the Persians threatening us with physical violence. And with Hanukkah, 
we mark the Greek Assyrians threatening our existence by outlawing Torah and Brit Milah, temple worship. And the only way for us to survive was to fight back. But if we consider the modern examples I was giving before, I don't think any of these groups' core values are really at risk. Are my values at stake because someone else's kid might get a better job than my daughter? No. Is an American's existence at risk because someone else might get their job? Even though the odds of an immigrant taking their job are actually pretty slim? Of course not. Because American values are based on life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And having somebody else coming to our country does not pose a threat to those values. Same goes in Sweden. In fact, very little has the power to threaten one's existence. Rather, the power to threaten our existence really lies in our own hands. It's only we can decide when it's time to let go of those values. We might be influenced by the outside, but the decision to give up those values is entirely our own. We're in a time of year when we say that life is in the balance. Unitana Tokef, which we'll recite tomorrow and Tuesday, asks who will live and who will die this coming year. Our tradition says that the decision is in God's hand, but really the decision is in our hands as it's up to us to do what's right in order to find favor in God's eyes, according to a traditional theology. But I think this is really saying that our existence is really only at risk if we lose sight of who we are. As we continue to go through the Machsor over the next week, we keep looking at value after value that says who we are as Jews at our core. And if we turn our backs on God, on Torah and on mitzvot, and all the core values that we hold so dear, those values which make, which make us moral beings, beings made in the image of God, only then, if we give up on those values, that's when our existence is gone. In Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Our Ancestors, the rabbis equate humans to trees. They teach that a person who is firmly rooted in mitzvot and in the tradition is like a tree that has far more roots than branches. That is, they're able to withstand even the strongest winds, the greatest threats to their very existence. As we begin the powerful exercise of introspection that the holidays demand of us, I want to encourage us to heed the advice of our tradition. Consider who you are at your core. Root yourself in your values, the values which we'll be reading in the Machsor throughout the holidays and the Sidur throughout the year. And then no matter what threat might come your way, you can honestly say, Hineni, here I stand, proud, shaken, and resolute. Shana Tova. Shana Tova. <clears throat>